Good morning. Today and for the next few weeks we're going to be looking at Jesus's humanity, um, the, the doctrine of the Incarnation, which is a central pillar of what Christians believe and have believed uh, for 2,000 years, that Jesus was fully God, uh, but also fully man. And, and we, even in saying that, recognise that's a bit of a paradox. These two things pull against each other, and yet that's clearly what the Bible teaches. And we'll look at Jesus' humanity, um, because we are also, of course, human, and our experiences um, uh, reflect Jesus's experiences and, and Jesus' life reflects our life and his our life reflects his so there's ex, there are common experiences that we have um, in life uh, that Jesus validates and helps us to navigate because he has gone before us and so we're going to be looking in these next few weeks at three aspects of of Jesus life and Jesus humanity that we maybe haven't really thought about before and I certainly not spoken about them uh, before and that was uh, that are the, these things. I hope this I hope this is, is helpful for us. That Jesus was tired from time to time. That Jesus grieved, and that Jesus experienced anxiety. And we're going to look at those things um, and really helpfully. And we're so grateful to those who are helping us. We have some clips of just some of our church family who are going to talk about those experiences in their own lives. Um, because I think sometimes we feel like as Christians we're supposed to be sort of superheroes maybe and that we're supposed to float through life without experiencing all these things and and sometimes we can feel a little bit like oh I shouldn't be feeling that because I'm a believer I'm a Christian and when we realize that Jesus experienced those things and that God was with him in them we see that he can be with us in them too uh, so I hope that is uh, is helpful that's where we're going to go uh, so let's just set the scene a little bit here uh, by reading John chapter 4 and verses 1 to 9. Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. He came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, uh, near the field where Jacob had given, had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there. So J Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Uh, the, Samar uh, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me uh, for a drink? For I'm a woman of Samaria. Um, and in this passage we see, I guess the standout thing for us today is this, that Jesus was wearied from his journey. And as, as kind of Bible-believing evangelical Christians, it's easy for us to sort of push into Jesus' divinity, uh, that he was God, of course he was, completely and fully God, uh, and ignore these more uh, uh, common-to-life experiences, that he was wearied from a journey. He was tired, and he sat down because he was tired, and he asked for help because he was tired, um, and that is often our experience too. Now let's just, to be fair, and, and to, uh, uh, to help us understand a little bit more, let's read a passage now from Isaiah 40. And this is the description of who God is. And then we're going to ask some questions of these two passages. So Isaiah 40, this is a familiar passage for many. Uh, verse uh, 38 is a contrast. Do you not know? 
Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. So the question I suppose we need to ask is this, which is it? Does he get tired or doesn't he get tired? Which is it? Um, and it's a valid question. And we, uh, what we don't need to do is to be afraid of asking robust questions of scripture. It's the way we learn, it's how we study who God is and understand who he is. And of course, what we have is God in his glory being described in Isaiah 40 and God in his humanity uh, description of his experience and actually the the contrast between the two tells us something about what Jesus did in becoming a man is that he stepped into our frailty the God who knew didn't know weariness who who who, who for, for whom nothing was too hard for this great creator this supreme God full of glory and goodness steps into our uh, our world he steps into our experience and experiences life as we experience it now. And there are reasons why he did that, which is what we're going to look at a little bit today. Now, in order to do that, let's turn to the book of Hebrews. And the writer to the Hebrews is very, very helpful in telling us something about why God became human. Hebrews 2 verses 5 to 18 says this. Since the children all of us, have flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That's all of humanity. For surely it is not to angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. And we see something of, uh, of why Jesus became human that he would be able to empathise with us, uh, that he would be able to stand with us in the challenges that we face, that over humanity has been this haunting reality that death stalks us all, unpleasant as it is to consider, that behind all the challenges and difficulties of life is this uh, unpleasant reality that death is waiting there for us. And what does Jesus do? He comes and walks that path and demonstrates that death isn't the final answer. It doesn't have the final say. He opens the grave and invites us in and says, listen, it is not a place of fear and trepidation. It doesn't stalk like it once did because I, as a man, have been through that experience and demonstrated that there is glory beyond. And so he leads us in that regard but there's more in Hebrews so let's read this next bit from Hebrews chapter 4 14 and 15 therefore since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven Jesus the son of God let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness 
but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are and yet is without sin. So Jesus is a high priest. Let's think about that for a moment or two. The high priest is a mediator, a go-between. <laughs> so uh, how do we connect as sinful people with a sinless God? When historically in the Old Testament, that was through the priest, the priesthood. And the priest would make sacrifices on behalf of the people. Literally, they, were the, the, they would be in the gap between people and God. They were the, the mediator. Um, and there were some, some rules and regulations about who could be a high priest. Or firstly, there had to be a Levite. They were uh, descendants of Aaron. Um, but actually, there was more to it than that. The high priest had to have three things that we, are relevant to us today, three things that, that were required of the high priest. The high priest needed to be gentle with the ignorant. In other words, people who knew how to behave and live, um, um, or people who could have known how to behave and live but didn't, uh, so they were ignorant of the truth. And they had to be gentle with those, so the ignorant, people who, were, who should have known but didn't. But they also had to be gentle with the wayward. And this is interesting. So gentle with people who, who did in fact know. They, were, they did have the knowledge and understanding of what they should be and do, but they chose not to. And so they, the high priest needed to be gentle with both of those groups. And then thirdly, the high priest needed to better empathise with the people. He needed to be one of them, one of the people, in order that he could identify with them and be a genuine mediator someone who could represent the people genuinely to God. And of course, Jesus in his humanity qualifies. Uh, Jesus who has walked the path that we walk, who, who felt tiredness, who felt anxiety, who knew grief and pain and challenge, that he would know what it is to be human. So he could empathise, identify with all of humanity and stand and be a mediator on our behalf so he was um he was both gentle with the ignorant and the wayward and empathized with us as humanity and as people now listen in jesus becoming a man he is that sympathetic mediator and is now a sympathetic mediator he knows there is a there is a man in heaven who is god who knows what it's like to live and experience life the way that you and i do he sympathises with. I think sometimes we get this idea of God that, that he's just wait, he's just like, well, does you know do better, or behave better, or, or or that's not right. And we can be very hard on ourselves. And the whole point of Jesus as mediator, Jesus as high priest, was that he sympathises with us. That rather than standing in uh, uh, and pointing in our faces, he stands beside us with an arm around our shoulder and leads us through. What a glorious truth! That is. But there's more even than that, because uh, it, it was the sin of mankind that meant the separation was there in the first place. You see what I mean? Why the need for priests anyway? Well, the need for priests and a priesthood, the need for a mediator, the need for us to be connected to God at all. Why were we disconnected? Well, we were disconnected because of the sin of mankind, the sin of humanity. So when Adam and Eve broke that one rule in the garden that there was a terrible separation and they couldn't find their way back mediators mediation was required and ultimately it was mankind's sin that needed to be punished 
and it needed to be a man who was punished. It needed to be one of them who, who received that punishment. And yet there was neither a man without their own sin, nor a man capable of receiving the punishment for sin until Jesus came. You see, every other one born had their own sins to be punished. So they couldn't take the sin of anybody else. They had their own. It's until Jesus, who lived as human, as a man, but lived sinlessly. The other thing, of course, is this, that the sin is, and, and all of these things, it, it gives us such a, an understanding of the terrible nature of sin. It's destructive power of, of, of how abhorrent it is to God. We, we're so used to living in a sinful world that we forget often just how damaging and dangerous it is. But the just punishment for sin would have utterly wiped, obliterated any human. And so it could only have been God who could have received the just punishment for sin. So Jesus, being fully human, could be uh, could receive the punishment justly for sin as a human, but as God could stand the punishment for sin and come through death back to life again. So firstly, Jesus was fully human, um, was the just recipient for mankind's punishment. Jesus as sinless human was able to be a just substitute. He didn't have sin of his own to be punished. And Jesus as fully God was able to receive the full and final penalty for all wrongdoing and live. And Jesus as human is a worthy substitute and able to distribute this salvation to all who believe in him. Let's just return then to Jesus as a sympathetic mediator the requirement of a high priest. Jesus knows our weaknesses. He doesn't just know about them, he knows them. He empathises with your and my weakness. He knows it. Now, he doesn't look to punish you for your lived experience, neither does he ignore them. <laughs> Rather, as a worthy and qualified high priest, he is able to help with them, comes alongside us to help. This relationship of substitute and empathetic mediator is what, what God offers all who will follow Jesus. So it goes like this. You don't have to carry your own guilt and shame. We have a mediator. We have one who will remove our guilt and shame. We have one who has been punished for your guilt and shame. The, the just punishment has been meted out. You're not guilty anymore. So we have one who will stand in the place for us. But we also have one who says, you don't have to struggle alone. I'm with you. I understand. I'll be with you always. So he, so he will, as a worthy substitute, stand in your place as a powerful friend and stand with you forever. This is the glory. This is that God would stand with you and stand in for you. It's a wonderful, a wonderful message. It's an incredible thing. That he would say, and he is worthy to do both of those things, able to do both of those things. Jesus' humanity does further. It elevates our human weaknesses. And it gives them meaning, context, and it gives us hope in the midst of them. Jesus has gone ahead and shown us the way through suffering to glory. 
and he invites us to follow him. So Jesus said many times, follow me. That's what he said to his disciples, he said to many people, follow me, follow me. And he didn't then float through life, as I said, like some kind of a superhero, untouched by the challenges of being human. He experienced life and he still said, follow me. And so he gives us hope in the midst of our own suffering. He gives us hope that through suffering that we can find glory and life even as he did. If you know, notice right at the beginning when we started here looking at that passage in John's Gospel where Jesus is wearied from a journey and he could have felt like, oh, I'm no use today because I'm wearied. And yet in the midst of his weariness, even as a result of asking this Samaritan woman for help, God is working. God is working. Follow me, says Jesus. In the midst of our challenge, in the midst of our lived experiences of, of, of weariness, of tiredness, of grief, of anxiety, God is able. And suddenly we find, oh, there's hope in the midst of it all. And he doesn't always whisk us away. We don't always suddenly sleep through the night. We don't always suddenly find a, a mind clear of anxiety. We don't always find a path, a path through the grief quickly <laughs> but there is hope in the midst of them and Jesus humanity does that for us he gives us hope he deifies as it were our experiences and says I will lead you through to a place of glory and so we're going to be talking uh, in the next couple of weeks too about tiredness and grief and anxiety today really we're looking at tiredness and what we've asked is that one or two would come and just share their own experiences with us and so we're going to listen to Grace Kinnaird, uh, just her experience of tiredness now. Now, we haven't picked Grace because she's particularly tired, but because she's able to, and happy to communicate her experience of that. And for many of us, this again will just help us to understand that our lived experiences are valid, that God is with us in the midst of them. So let's hear from Grace now. Over the last year, I felt tired a lot of the time. A baby that doesn't sleep can make you feel tired. Recently, I got up with our son Judah in the night and it took me a long time to realise that instead of my glasses, I had put on my sunglasses. I was sitting there in the dark room feeding him with my sunglasses on. Tiredness can make us do crazy things. But tiredness isn't unique to me or to mums with young kids. We all feel tired, it's part of being human. For me, feeling tired has meant a range of things. Physical tiredness, emotional tiredness and vulnerability, a desire to be alone, a loss of creativity, and sometimes distance from God. I find that tiredness feels like a failure to me. My tendency is to cover it up. You don't want to sound like you're moaning or ungrateful. So I've also spent a lot of time powering through, looking down living day by day, sometimes hour by hour, head down, get tasks done, keep on top of things and rest later. But actually tiredness isn't a failure. It's part of life, but it's also a blessing. I wanted to share one reminder and one encouragement that I found helpful, and I hope that you'll find them helpful too. Firstly, I've been reminded that feeling tired is part of being human. It shows that I'm not God and it reminds me of who he is. 
Feeling tired shows me that I'm limited. I don't have endless energy for all things and rest is a good part of life. Instead of feeling frustrated at my limitations, my messy house or unfinished tasks, I've been trying to find this truth freeing. When I'm weary and physically tired, I don't need to keep pushing myself, just push through. It's a chance for me to acknowledge my limitations, to stop, to rest and recognise who God is. In Isaiah 40, we read this. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. The everlasting God sees what we're going through. He doesn't want us to hide our tiredness or our weariness from him, and he promises us strength. Secondly, an encouragement. Many nights I found myself saying, just close your eyes and go to sleep. A baby doesn't really understand that and definitely doesn't just obey that because I said it. But I applied that same feeling to myself. If only I could just close my eyes and go to sleep, then I'll feel fine. And that's true to an extent. A good solution to tiredness is sleep. But God has encouraged me this year with the opposite, to open my eyes and look to him, to go to him. In scripture we read this, Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When I feel tired, the temptation is to retreat, perhaps slightly go into goblin mode. With young kids, there's definitely a longing to be completely alone and to rest. But God encourages me to go to him and rest in his presence. The Lord says, come to me, come into my presence and I will give your soul rest. Jesus' example is a huge encouragement. He models this and I want to follow his example. When he was feeling tired, he sought communion with God. He retreated to be with his father and to pray. We read in Mark, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. We read in Luke, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. The Lord himself understands. Jesus knew what it is to be tired, to need to rest. Our saviour knows what it is to feel weary. The God we follow understands our emotions and welcomes our honesty. And I find that hugely encouraging. I still feel tired. I still often feel frustrated by my limitations, but I have a God who understands and praise him. When we're weary, he welcomes us into his arms. Thank you so much, Grace. That's so helpful to hear. Let's just ask God to lead us and guide us. It'd be great to, uh, to spend time praying for one another um, uh, in the midst of our own challenging experiences. Father, we thank you so much that you are with us. Thank you that you're a sympathetic mediator. You know what it is to live our lives, our experiences. You stand with us, that you mediate for us, that you take us to the Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you're able to stand with us and that you are willing to be with us in the midst of all the things that we experience. And I pray that you would bring that comfort as a, uh, as a, a sympathetic high priest would bring, that they would be gentle with the wayward, gentle with the ignorant, gentle with our experiences because you are able to identify with us. You empathize 
with the challenges that we face. We pray that all those would be true for us today. Amen.